Veritas includes scenes and descriptions of violence, death, blood, and danger. Listener discretion is advised. We remember the past so that we might understand the present. It is the only way we can hope to change the future. Eris, Rhea, and Navar are three members of the 18th Imperial Legion. For the last five years, they have been on assignment in the far northern wilds, at the very edges of the Imperium, at a small outpost called Icaris. The 18th Legion have been the only humans in these wilds for almost half a decade, fighting off the dangers of the land and securing it for the Imperium, whatever that means exactly. When our story began, our three heroes spotted an Imperial party coming up along the southern road. It would be the first contact they'd had with the Imperium, outside of their occasional missives and directives, in almost four years. They made preparations for the arrival of the incoming party, hoping for news that perhaps they would be sent home. Instead, arriving at the head of the Imperials was a herald, clad in a strange and unsettling mask. He proclaimed that the Imperial throne had been transferred to a new Imperator, and that everyone was immediately to swear full allegiance by killing the named traitors on the list he carried with him. The Herald's words carried some strange compulsion, and the Icaris outpost immediately devolved into a melee as the Legionnaires turned their weapons on one another in a bloody massacre. In the confusion, Rhea and Navar pulled Eris aside before he could get himself killed, and the three of them fled into the wilderness with the calculus that they could do more alive than by martyring themselves on the field. Welcome to the first episode of Veritas. This is a solo live play of TumbleDie Games' tabletop RPG in development, Trove. Similar to the Falcon's Cry experiment from October of last year, this will be me ushering three Trove heroes through a story. Because of the nature of solo play, I'll be pretty heavily reliant on dice rolls to determine outcomes, as you might expect. Otherwise, I sort of might as well write a novel, right? I do expect the presentation to be slightly different in this series, as I'd like to focus on how the rules of Trove guide the narrative, rather than interrupting the story flow with another die roll every few sentences. So you can expect things to be a bit experimental around here until I figure out what works best for the conjunction of story and rules. I think it will be helpful, though, for the listeners to have an overview, so here's a quick rundown on how the game works. Trove is a fiction-first, character-driven story-building game. So what does that mean? 
Well, we're going to take one or more heroes, player characters in RPG parlance, and we're going to put them in sticky situations. Through the use of a primary resource, called, you guessed it, Trove, they're going to rise up to challenge the things that stand in the way of their goals. The difficulty of the things they attempt is going to be driven by the circumstances of the story around them. Catching a villain before they escape by dashing across a flat field is pretty easy. Doing the same by climbing up a sheer cliff? A lot harder. Heroes will gain Trove through making decisions for their character, role-playing, and will spend it to accomplish things during challenges. From all of those things, highs and lows, successes and defeats, a story will emerge that's told by everyone at the table. Of course, here in this game, that's just me. So we're going to have to randomize a few more things than usual to account for the fact that I'm going to be playing three different heroes, each with their own drives and goals. Each of our heroes begins play with six trove, so just keep that little note in your noggin for now. Before we get too far into the weeds, though, let's go ahead and fully introduce our heroes. Dramatis Personae Our first hero is Rhea. She is an Imperial Legionnaire, or was right up until the events of our prologue. Rhea was born into this empire as the daughter of a wealthy family's servants. She is resentful of the Imperium's firm caste structure that irrevocably divides its folk into servants, freedmen, and nobility at birth, with almost no way to cross between these thresholds, except through extraordinary circumstances. Rhea is stronger than she looks, but she can think her way around pretty much anybody, given a little bit of time to plan. She won her ticket into the Legion by entering a gladiatorial contest and winning. It allowed her to escape the circumstances of her birth and into a place where the sharp divides are not as important or prevalent. The assignment to Icaris was Rhea's first, and so, until the events of the previous night, she had not really seen combat outside of the gladiatorial arena. Right now, the only thing she wants in the world is to take revenge on the people that did this to them, preferably in the showiest and most humiliating, for her enemies, of course, way possible. Our next hero is Navar. He's a freedman, as his mother won free of her servitude before he was born. The imperial middle class is small and squeezed, and freedmen often find themselves in between, with no real place or path forward in life. Navar is a thinker, a philosopher in his way, always seeking to better himself spiritually. He joined the Legion as soon as he was able, just to have some kind of path forward in life, and found his calling quickly as a scout. He is remarkably resilient, having found himself able to endure silent camouflage for hours at a time without complaint. He often prefers silence, feeling little need to add the sound of his voice if it is unnecessary. Whenever hardship has come at Navar, he simply endures it until it breaks upon the rocks of his soul and then continues on with his life. Navar has spent three five-year assignments in the Legion. He spent his first in the 15th Legion in the far south of the Imperium, waging a bloody war against the Imperium's enemies there. His second was a posting in the Imperial City, more ceremonial than anything. When he heard that the newly formed 18th Legion was heading to the wilds of the north, 
he immediately volunteered to join their scouting team. He is a battle-hardened veteran, a keen eye with a bow, and a swift hand with a knife. His overarching desire is to reach a place of peace so that he can reflect on all of the things he has endured. Our third hero is our scout sergeant, Eris. Born to the nobility, he is actually technically in line for the imperial throne himself, although distantly. He grew up in the intrigue of the courts as the youngest of several children, with little to no hope of inheriting anything directly himself. Eris found himself discomfited by the shadows and skulking of imperial politics, and in truth joined the Legion as something of a lark. Given his rank, he expected an imperial guardsman posting somewhere around the imperial city, and found himself quite surprised when they made him a sergeant in the 18th Legion and sent him far to the north. He quickly found himself the leader to folk who neither liked nor respected him, and spent the next five years growing into the role and earning every bit of respect that he is now granted. In truth, Eris's life has been relatively peaceful, even despite the dangers of the wilds. The closest he has come to true danger was an attack by a monster during the early days of the Icaris camp, and even then, his scouts only reported on the matter before turning it over to the heavy infantry to have it dealt with. The events of the previous night are weighing heavily on Eris, as the massacre at Icaris was truly his first direct exposure to violence on that scale. Eris wants little more than to be the hero of the Imperium. He is willing to take risks, even ones that might seem foolish to others, in order to make that happen. There's a few things we need to keep in mind as we go forward here. One thing we need to remember is that each Trove hero should be capable of being their own fully realized character, who could be the main character of a whole set of stories. Trove heroes are not necessarily dependent on one another to survive, as in most standard RPGs. They are able to act both independently and cooperatively, and the spirit of our story should recognize this. To help us along, I'm going to rotate the narrative point of view between all three characters, so that we can remember that this is an ensemble of three fully realized heroes, and not three parts of a single whole. Next, because Trove really is a rules-light storytelling RPG, there are often chunks of time where there just aren't any dice that need to be rolled. This is okay, and lets us focus on the storytelling aspects, building characters, their relationships, and the world around them. We're going to have some extra dice as we do random determinations that would usually be handled by the narrator. When rules are invoked during a narrative segment, you'll hear an audio cue. I'll introduce these as we go. In this one, you'll hear the hero's name, then invoked, and the name of a hero facet, indicating that a part of their personality has come into play during the scene. When this happens, it means that the hero has gained one additional trove. We're going to learn a lot more about these heroes and how their personalities translate to the rules of Trove as we go along. For now, let's allow the story to move forward and figure out what our heroes are going to do next. Episode 1, Part 2 The Northern Wilds, Year 1 of the Reign of Imperator Grison, One Day After the Destruction of the Icaris Outpost. We have to go back, 
Navar watched placidly as the young sergeant paced back and forth in front of him. The man would wear a groove in the forest floor before long, he thought idly. The early morning sunlight filtered through the trees in the east, slowly burning off the mist that had formed overnight. After they had fled Icaris, they had made their way to the forest, to one of their former scout encampments. Though they had abandoned it long ago, it lay at the base of a long hollow beneath a heavy rock overcropping. They had set up here initially due to its long-term viability as a campsite, and it had served them well as a fallback here and now as well. Coming here had been Rhea's idea. The girl made an affect of looking lazy, but she had a sharp mind that Navar had come to appreciate over the past few years. None of them had slept a wink that night. Navar had thought he might. His time in the South had seen him more than a fair share of horrors. But even he found himself too troubled by what he had witnessed. Legionnaires and their enemies killing one another was one thing, but legionnaires slaying their own, that was just too much. And the compulsion, that was perhaps the thing that disturbed him most. He could still feel the goose flesh rippling across him whenever his mind touched upon the memory. It made him sick, queasy, like nothing else he'd encountered in his life. It felt like a disease of the mind. Perhaps it was that which had kept him awake for the night, and kept him awake now. He found himself afraid of what he might see behind his eyelids. Returning to Icaris would serve no purpose, he said gently, for the dozenth time since they'd set up beneath the outcropping. Rhea stretched out on an animal skin by the campfire, idly tending to a hastily erected spit they'd put up to cook a caught rabbit or two to keep hunger at bay. A stream not far off served as a source of water. All in all, they could be in a far worse position here. What if someone is still alive? Aeris asked, again. If anyone is still alive there, they are most likely our enemies, Navar pointed out. The faint but unmistakable acrid scent of smoke on the air told Navar what had almost certainly become of the settlement that had served as home for the past half-decade. But it seemed that the sergeant's nose was not as keen. The herald's men and the bewitched far outnumbered the rest. I am sorry, sergeant, but I am afraid there is no one left alive there who might be friendly to our cause. It seemed that his words finally broke through the young noble's fear. Aeris stopped his pacing, turned, and looked at Navar. The panic behind his eyes unsettled Navar somewhat. It reminded him of his own. He tamped down the memory again, seeking his inner calm. With a deep, slow breath, he found it again. Aeris stared at him, and just when Navar thought he might break again and go back to his pacing, he nodded slowly. You're right. You're right. There's, there's nothing there. Okay, then what do we do? You are in command here, Navar reminded him. The sergeant let out a bitter laugh. Ha! Yes, of course. Elevated above the two of you by virtue of my birth rank. That certainly makes me responsible for our fate, now that we're out here alone. You've earned my respect these last few years, Navar said, keeping his voice slow and patient so as not to spook the young noble again. You have a knack for leadership, more than my last scout sergeant. The man had a tendency to lose his head at the slightest provocation. What happened to him? Aeris asked, tilting his head curiously. Had Navar never told this story? He grinned. Lost his head. 
Dante and Axe when he was looking the other way. Very messy. Eris turned a little green, and Navar immediately regretted his gallows humor. Well, the boy was going to have to grow up one way or the other. Wait a minute, Eris said. Navar nodded. Yes, now the fog of fear had begun to lift. He saw the sergeant straighten. When was our last imperial missive? Navar thought for a moment. About a month ago, I think. Signed by Imperator Variatin, right? As I recall. It takes about three weeks at a solid clip for a message to get out to Icaris at the usual pace, Eris said more to himself. Navar could almost see the wheels turning in the young sergeant's mind. That means that at most seven weeks ago, Variatin was still on the throne. Even if Grison had seized power immediately after that, why would he bother sending an Imperial Herald this far north so soon? What do you know of this Grison? Navar asked curiously. The look of venom that Aeris suddenly turned on him surprised Navar. Grison is a reptile wearing a human skin cloak. He is an ill-begotten sack of shit stuffed into velvet and scented with grave dust. He is a repulsive excuse for an Imperial citizen. Navar blinked a few times. He hadn't expected quite so strong a reaction. Eh, Imperials are all the same, Rhea put in from her place by the fire. Navar hadn't even known she was listening. He should have remembered not to underestimate her. One Imperator, the next, all are a bunch of men who couldn't find their own arseholes if they were standing over a pond. Who cares who's on the throne? This one's different, the sergeant grated out. You saw what that herald did. Rhea shuddered a little and turned back to the fire, poking at the dying embers with the end of a charred stick. You were saying something about the message, Navar prompted him. Right, right. Aeris nodded his thanks. The fact is, Grison could have held power for years without us even knowing about it. We would have just stayed here until someone came to relieve us. If they never came, we would just assume, days over days, that someone was coming eventually, right? So, why send a party out to challenge us, to destroy Icaris? It doesn't make any sense. Unless there was something in our reports that the new Imperator wants, or is afraid that someone will find, Neva reasoned slowly. Eris snapped his fingers. That's gotta be it. There's something up here that he wants his men to get their hands on first, without a bunch of legionnaires asking questions about it. But legionnaires don't ask questions, Navar said. Believe me, I know. Right, Eris agreed. So whatever it is must be truly awful if this was the solution. Hmm. Navar considered for a moment. I'm not saying you're right or wrong, Sergeant, but it is certainly an interesting thought. If you are correct, what do we do about it? Aedris fetched a stick from the nearby brush, swept away a bare patch of dirt, and began sketching a rough map on the forest floor. Okay, if Icaris is here, the closest settlement is over a dozen leagues in the southwest direction. He poked the dirt some ways away, leaving a dot. Since they destroyed Icaris, they're probably not working out of there, which means that their forward operations are probably back there, in Betica. Weren't there some ruins or something between Icaris and Betica? Rhea's voice suddenly came from right behind Navar as she poked her head over his shoulder to look at the map. 
He did not flinch, but it was a close thing. We did find some ruins there, Navar agreed, gritting his teeth a bit. But they were empty. That must be it! Eris smacked one fist into the opposing palm. There must be something we missed there, something that Grayson is looking for. It could change the course of history. Eris invoked. Aspiration. Hero of the Imperium. We could also go directly to Betica, Navar suggested. Have a look around, see if there really are Imperials set up there. Most of those folk are just country-living villagers. It would be easy to tell, even from a distance, if one of the other legions were set up there. As long as we're quiet, no one ever has to know we were there. Navar invoked. Experience. Silence is golden. I think we need to hunt these bastards down and make them pay for what they've done, Rhea said, folding her arms. They deserve the worst for what they've done. Rhea invoked. Aspiration. Kill the traitors. Take a chance on the ruins, investigate Bedica, or hunt down the traitors. Eris murmured to himself, staring at the map. Navar glanced at the spot where the Imperial City would lay on his makeshift cartography. It was, uncomfortably, several yards into the forest proper. They could move faster overland than most, but it would still be a long journey home. In truth, he had little preference for which option to take. He had been a legionnaire for fifteen years. He had gotten used to taking orders. Your call, Sergeant, Rhea said, and Navar nodded agreement. Episode 1, Part 3 Okay, so here we have a crossroads. There are three options that lay before our heroes, and so we're going to have our first random determination. Because Adris is nominally the leader of our group, and he has an inclination for personal heroism, he does have a preference here. I can't just leave this up to an unweighted D3. So I'll weight it. I'll roll 1D6. On a 1-3, to Adris is going to take them to investigate those ruins. He thinks that they can find something that will give them leverage against what he considers to be a pretender on the throne. That would give him a chance to be hailed as a hero. On a 4-5, to they'll take Navar's suggestion and head to the settlement called Betica directly to investigate what's happening there before taking any action. Because directly hunting an Imperial Herald's party with only the three of them is the greatest risk for the smallest reward, he will only take up Rhea's suggestion on a 6. Let's see what happens. The result is a three. They'll head to the ruins. The journey is about 25 miles overland, which is going to take them several days, even with the most primitive of paths to guide them. In Trove, we're not too concerned about the moment-to-moment -moment of survival. What we really want to know right now is this. Can they make the first leg of their journey from the scout camp outside Ikaris to the ruins without getting lost, sidetracked, or ambushed by some kind of danger? And this means it's time for our very first challenge. For this first time, I'll walk you through the mechanics. In future moments, I'll insert the challenge results into the narrative flow with an audio cue, rather than breaking out to a narrator segment like this one, but it's good for you to know how the rules will guide us. I'll also make sure to put in rules refreshers from time to time, for anyone new who might join us along the way. This first challenge is to navigate the wilderness between their current campsite and the ruins they encountered some time ago. Of our three heroes, Rhea is the only one with a skill specifically labeled as Wilderness Survival, so she gets to take the lead on this one. First, we declare the hero's intention. This would normally be done by the hero's player, so in this case, that's me. 
Rhea's intention is to guide them through the wilderness to the ruins without getting lost and avoiding dangers. Second, we need to decide on the effort for the challenge. This is the base amount of trove that Rhea will need to spend in order to buy in and attempt this action. Think of it sort of like the ante for a poker hand. Rhea is trying to do three things. Find a spot she hasn't been to in some time, avoid getting lost, and dodging dangers along the way. Three is a good baseline effort. We'll add one more for the complexity of doing all of them at the same time, so the effort for this will be four. Next, we agree on which of the hero's primary attributes will come into play. Those attributes are strength, wit, and resolve. In this case, because Rhea is particularly clever, and will rely on her wits first in just about any possible circumstance, this will be a wit challenge. Rhea has seven trove. She will invoke her wilderness survival skill, which gives her an additional one, giving her eight to enter the challenge. It's time now to determine the consequences. This is done with a d20 roll. Rhea must commit four of her eight trove to attempt the challenge, leaving her with four remaining. Her wit attribute has a score of three, meaning that she can spend up to three additional trove to affect the d20 roll. Each trove she spends right now will be worth a plus one on the die. Rhea will spend two trove to raise the challenge, giving her a plus two on the d20 roll. In trove, challenges do not have a binary pass-fail result. Instead, the result is on a gradient. A natural 20 is the best outcome, and a natural 1 is the worst. In between, there are three grades of varied success and failure, including choices for the player to make on how those results play out. Let's roll the die and see what happens. Rhea rolls a 14 on the die, and we add 2 for her raises, bringing her to 16. This result is called Intended Consequences. Rhea retrieves all four effort and puts them back into her trove bank, putting her at six, moving forward. She also gets the chance to create an advantage for her fellows going forward, which she will do, bringing her final post-challenge trove to five. So now there is an advantage available for a future challenge, and Rhea gets exactly what she intended. They will get there in a reasonable amount of time without getting lost and avoiding foreseeable dangers along the way. An auspicious start to this new game. Let's find out what the terrain and weather are like for the heroes as they move along. For this, we'll use something called Circumstances. It's also a d20 roll on a gradient, and it's used for things that are totally outside the hero's control, which the narrator may not have planned in advance. And sometimes it's just fun to leave things up to fate. The Circumstances die is sort of like an oracle. We ask the oracle a question, like, does the terrain favor our heroes as they make their way towards the ruins? The result is a 7. The answer to prompt us is no, but. Meaning that the terrain is unfavorable, but something contributes to taking off the worst of it. Let's ask the same about the weather. Will the weather favor our heroes as they move towards the ruins? A natural 1. Wow. The oracle's answer in this case is no, and. Whew. Well, I asked, didn't I? We'll find out all the details of the journey in our next episode. For now, let's see our heroes along their way, knowing that what awaits them will be most unexpected. Episode 1, Part 4 They packed up their camp with some reluctance after the sergeant made his decision. 
they would head straight to the ruins to try and cut off whatever the Imperial party was searching for. Navar was used to risking his life for the Legion, true enough, but something about this felt like a fool's errand. Nevertheless, he'd sworn his life to the Legion. The fact that they were now three instead of a hundred mattered little to Navar. He still had a commanding officer, and he would follow. You sure this is a good idea? Rhea murmured to him at one point when the sergeant was out of earshot. Navar shook his head. But then, joining the Legion wasn't exactly a great idea, either. True enough, Rhea sighed. I hope this doesn't get us all killed. I never did get accustomed to all this forested land, Navar sighed. Seems like you've always had a knack for it. How far do you think it is to those ruins from here? About eight leagues. Three days, if things go well, she answered. Then I hope things go well, Navar said with a little sigh. Ayr stood a few yards off, looking out into the forest in the southwestern direction. Are we ready? There's not much time to waste here. With a heavy sigh, Navar slung the meager pack of provisions he'd managed to liberate from Icaris before they'd fled over his shoulder, and Rhea smothered the fire. Yes, Sergeant. Navar came up to stand beside him. We're ready, Rhea said from Aerus's other shoulder. Good then. Let's go. Thank you for listening to Threat Dice. I hope that you are enjoying our new tale, powered by the upcoming Trove RPG. If you're enjoying the series, one of the best ways you can help is by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us on Twitter, at TumbleDie, or on the web at www.tumbledie.com. Threat Dice and Veritas are a production of TumbleDie Games, LLC. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Kylan Wigan. Music featured in this episode, licensed CC BY, include Lifeless Eyes Watching and Last Stand by Vince Vept. Check out his work at vincevept.bandcamp.com. The narrator's theme was written by Kyellen, that's me, for this series. The ending theme is Carved in Stone, also by Kyellen. More of my music at soundcloud.com slash cc that's K-Y-E-L-L-A-N dash C-C. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.